Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, this morning uh, we are starting a a new series. I'll call it a mini-series because it is a series through the book of Job called Insights from Job, but we won't be going through all 42 chapters exhaustively, uh, lest we're here in this book until the year 2020. So we're just going to glean what we can, some spiritual insights through some selected portions of Job, and uh, I'm pretty excited about this because it's especially our, our subject, our scripture this morning, Job chapter 1, gives us Uh, a glimpse, a peek into spiritual realities that we normally can't see with our physical eyes in this life. Uh, It gives us a peek behind the scenes of of what happens in heaven as things are set into motion that play out in our time and place here on the earth. So it's it's an exciting and a very interesting uh, topic to look at today. And if you know about my preferred method of teaching, if you've been to any of my Bible studies or have heard much of my preaching, I like to take it slow and I like to focus on a a small portion of Scripture and and, and even take one verse a week. So this is going to be a challenge for me because I'm going to try to go through the whole chapter of Job, uh, chapter 1, and so I need need prayer. So pray for me as I, I pray for our message this morning. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can gather around your word, around the word of God, the living word, Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we look into Job chapter 1, that you would give us insight, that you would help those of us who have gone through trials, those of us who will go through trials, all of us, Lord, with this this wonderful truth that we're going to look at today. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be able to do this in a timely manner, in a clear and understandable manner to serve your people today. I depend on you for that, and I thank you for the answers that are on the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, before we actually start into Job, and you can turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 1, or it will be projected up here on the screen, but before we uh, start into it, I want to suggest a way to, to think through this passage, sort of a mindset as we enter into Job chapter 1 for us today. And, and that mindset is a mindset that would be like if you were studying for a test. Because the trials that we see Job going through can be viewed as a test. The Bible tells us in the book of James that The various trials that we face in life are a test of our faith. And so we want to look at this as sort of a study guide, kind of like one of those study guides that you get for the SAT exam. Uh, I'm I'm entering into that phase of life again because two of my four children are now either in junior high or high school, so we're going to have to get those books. I don't know if they're books anymore. They were these big, thick books when I was in school, how to prepare for the SAT, and... uh, and they, those books, those guides tell you not only how to prepare for the exam, but how to pass the exam. This chapter, Job chapter 1, is sort of a divine study guide that, that not only prepares us for the tests that we're going to face in our life, the trials that we're going to face in our lives, but shows us exactly how to pass those tests. So I'm excited about this this morning. The title of our message this morning is called The Job Test and How to Pass It. The Job Test and How to Pass It. And I know this applies to all of us because we've all gone through various trials. And and if you haven't yet, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the Lord Jesus Christ said in this world we will have trials and tribulations. And so we may not have gone through trials in the degree that we're going to see that Job experienced them. But you might have had health issues. You might have had a lost job. You might have relational difficulties in your life. You might have financial difficulties. And sometimes those things, they stack one on top of the other. 
like a machine gun, just boom, boom, boom. And it, it, it sort of reminds me of a, of a country song, you know? And, and I like 90s country. I'm not like Mark. I don't demean country music, but I like it. Um, but those country songs can be like attack after attack after attack. And I was talking to my mom about this a little bit last night. We talked about country music, and I, I told her, you know what happens when you play a country song backwards? You get your wife back, you get your truck back, you get your dog back. But we, we have all experienced trials of various kinds and various degrees. And, and I want us today to see how Job passed the test. And I want us to put that into, into experience today. So taking this whole chapter is a bit of a challenge. So here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. First, before we even look at verse 1, I'm going to show you one key word that appears several times in this chapter and throughout this book. Second, I'm going to tell you the big idea that that I believe this chapter is teaching us, at least one of them. There are many, but one of the big ideas of this chapter, and understanding this big idea is going to help us know how to pass the tests that we face in our lives. And then finally, we're going to go ahead and and look through Job 1. We're going to read through the whole chapter. And as we read through, we're going to pause here and there to gain 12 key insights that are going to support that main idea and solidify it in our minds. And and we we could reap hundreds of key insights, but I've chosen 12 for today and I'll try to control myself so that we're not here till 4 p.m. So, first of all, one key word. And I don't know if you noticed, but I have an asterisk beside that, and you'll see why. Let me show you that word in two verses. First, we'll look at Job 1.11, and then we'll look at Job 1.21. The key word appears in both. Job 1.11. But stretch out your hand, and this, by the way, is, this is Satan. We're going to get to this verse. It's the enemy speaking uh, to the Lord. He says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he, Job, has. And he will, what is it? Curse. He will curse you to your face. Now interestingly, that same word appears in verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, says Job, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. What is it? Blessed. Blessed. Here's the asterisk. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now I know this is confusing because I said one key word and I just showed you two and they are complete opposite meanings, right? But in the, in the Hebrew language, in the language that the Old Testament and the book of Job was originally written in, this is the exact same word. How can that be? How can this be the same word? Well, this is the Hebrew word Barak. And I'm going to try to refrain from many jokes about former presidents. In Hebrew, Hebrew is a weird language, and I don't know it really well yet, but a word can have two different completely opposite meanings depending upon how it's used in the text, in the positive sense or in the negative sense. And, and the Hebrew readers and writers would have known this. This is the same word, but it can mean a complete opposite. So we have cursed and we have bless in those two verses. In the positive sense, the word barak is translated blessed in most translations. And it means this, to speak favorably of, to honor with great reverence, to praise. So when we saw in verse 21 that Job blessed the Lord, this is what he was doing. But the word in the negative sense, translated curse, means to speak negatively, critically, or irreverently of. To condemn or to charge with wrong. That's what Satan was trying to get Job to do by putting the trial on him. So, it's one word, but it has two complete opposite meanings. We're going to see that word appear throughout the text. So remember that. We're going to come back to that. And each of these insights and our big idea are going to hinge on the understanding that we have of blessing God versus cursing God. 
in a trial. Okay? The big idea. What is the big idea of this chapter? Well, like I said, there, there may be more than one, but I believe that one of the very evident big ideas of Job chapter 1 is this. Satan wants you to curse God in your trials. Pass the test by blessing God instead. Satan wants you to curse. He wants you to speak negatively of God. He wants you to charge Him with wrong. He wants you to condemn Him. He wants you to speak irreverently of Him. Pass the test by blessing Him, by praising Him, by revering Him, by honoring Him through your trials instead. That's what Job did. That's what we're going to see in this chapter. So now let's, let's take a look at the chapter and pull some key insights out. And if we understand what blessing and cursing is and what the big idea is, I think we're going to, have a, 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 we're going to be able to get through this in our time frame. And these key insights will support what we've just talked about. So this is a very interesting, interesting chapter. And this is a sermon where I'm not going to use a lot of personal illustrations or anything to explain points because really this, this narrative is its own illustration. And it really happened. It's not a made-up story. This is historical narrative. So this is something that happened, and it is amazing. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. So note that. Job was blameless and upright. He was a good man. Verse 3, or verse 2. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Job was a, a rich man, a wealthy man. Many scholars even believe that Job is a man in Genesis 36 named Jobab, J-O-B-A-B, who was a king in the land of Edom. So Job may very well have been a king, but either way, he was a very wealthy man. He was a very righteous man. Verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Why did he do this? It tells us next. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job was worried about the possibility that his children, during their feasts, during their parties, may have cursed God. So he offered sacrifices and he prayed for them. And it says, thus Job did continually. Insight number one. And you don't have to remember all these. You can write them down if you want. There's 12 of them, so don't get pressure like, oh, I need to remember all of them. But Take what you can with you and glean from them. Insight number one, cursing God is a great evil. Cursing God, to speak negatively, critically, irreverently, to condemn, to charge with wrong, is a great evil. Here we have Job, who was the most righteous man probably in the world at that time. He's named in other places in the Bible with with a select group of people who were the most righteous people of their time. And, and he is so concerned with the possibility that his, his adult children, his grown children, may have cursed God, not even with their, their mouths, but in their hearts, it says. That's a serious, serious evil. It's a serious sin that we think those thoughts of God. That's what Job was concerned about. That they may have even thought that they, that they did this in their heart. And so, Job 
prayed for them regularly. He offered sacrifices for them. He did this continually. Now, I've read and heard before where Christians will say things like, it's okay to be angry at God when you're going through a trial. And even, I've heard this, even to yell at Him because He understands. No, it's not. That's blasphemy. That's cursing God. That's speaking irreverently or critically or charging Him with wrong. That is not okay. It's a serious sin. And Job knew that. And this is why he acted as a priest for his children and prayed for them. So insight number one. I don't want to take too long on any of these or we'll be here too long. But insight number one, cursing God is a great evil. And we're going to see this throughout the rest of this chapter. This, this insight will be reinforced throughout the chapter. Insight number two. We aren't here alone. We aren't here alone. Job went through some really serious trials, and I know many of you have been through trials. And I've been through some not so serious, but like even the trials that I've experienced, I can think, what in the world is going on here? Especially those bombarding kind where they just stack on top of you. What in the world is going on here? And really, I think we see from Job that that might not be the best question. The better question might be what in the heavens is going on here because we have here a sneak peek behind the scenes into the spiritual realm where some of these things are set into motion that happen on the earth. Verse 6. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came... Let me, let me just explain that phrase. The sons of God in the Old Testament... That phrase usually means spiritual beings that God created. Okay? It's used in the New Testament as for, for us, for believers, because we are a new spiritual creation when we believe in Jesus Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit. So we become sons and daughters of God, of God when we become a spiritual creation. Well, there were spiritual creations, intelligent spiritual beings prior to the creation of the earth. We call them angels. Those are what the Bible in the Old Testament usually refers to when you see this phrase, sons of God. Now, it's important to keep in mind as well that a third of them, around a third of them, left from, from following God and followed Satan when he rebelled against God. Now, we sometimes call those demons, they're fallen angels, and they are evil. I believe they were a part of this group on this day in verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Satan, by the way, just means the enemy. In the Hebrew language, in the book of Job, when it says Satan came among them, it says it actually says, and the Satan came among them. Not giving his name, but giving his position, the enemy came among them. Same, it's the same person. It's the person that we refer to as Satan, the spirit that we refer to as Satan. So there's this day, and these beings, these intelligent spiritual creations come before the Lord. Satan also comes. The Bible makes it clear that we aren't the only ones here. We tend to just think of that. We, we tend to think that way because we see one another. We are looking by sight, not by faith. There's a story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings where Elisha prayed that the Lord would open his servant's eyes to see the spiritual forces that surrounded them. And the Lord did, and He looked around on the hills and there were all kinds of beings and chariots of fire. And if the Lord would open our eyes, we would see that we're not the only ones here. And I don't say this to scare anyone, but the Lord wants us to know this. The Lord wants us to think in this way. Because we need to be prepared because Satan is real Demons are real, and they, as we're going to see in this chapter, they tempt us to sin. And so, 
we have a pretty amazing glimpse into this. Let's continue in verse 7. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Now, the Lord knew where he came from. The Lord does this all the time in the Scriptures. He, he asks questions. He knows the answer. From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. This leads us to insight number three. Satan's strategies don't change. Satan's strategies don't change. Notice what he said. From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it, this sounds familiar because we're told in the New Testament book of 1 Peter that this is what he's doing now, in our age, today. He's doing the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 tell us this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion to and fro, seeking someone to devour. And then here's the strategy. And it's the same strategy for us in defending against that as it was for Job. Verse 9, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he didn't go away. He didn't leave after Job was done. He, didn't, he wasn't only there in the Old Testament. He's still here now in the New Testament. He's still prowling around to and fro, up and down on the earth, seeking someone to devour, seeking to cause suffering seeking to cause trials. And we still need to resist him, just like we're going to see that the way that Job did it. So we're not alone. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away, and, and turns away from evil? Insight number four comes from verse eight. God is God, we are not, and we have no right to judge his actions. This may be the most important one of all of these insights. This may be the theme of the book of Job. Let me explain why I put the insight in this way. Notice who pointed Job out to Satan. Satan didn't request to harm Job. God pointed Job out to Satan. Verse 8, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Well, why did he do that? Job was probably the most righteous man on the earth at that time. Family man, prayed for his children all the time because he was afraid they were going to curse God. He was a king probably, very wealthy man. Why would God do this? this? This baffles me, if I'm being honest with you. I don't know. I don't know why God would do this. I've read a lot about Job. I've heard a lot of theories. I don't know why God would do this. But I'm not God. God is God. I'm not God. Who am I to put God on the stand and judge Him and say, that's not right, and charge Him with wrong and curse Him? See, there's a verse in Romans chapter 9 that says, whenever it's on a subject where people can tend to be critical of God, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? And that's really the idea behind this insight. We're not God. I would encourage all of us, if you haven't, sometime between this week and next, to read chapter 38 of Job, through the end of the chapter. Because really, this is when God responds to Job and kind of defends himself when, when it's, the, the question's kind of raised, well, why? Why does this happen to me? God gives an answer in 38 through 42. But it's not a simple answer. He starts it out and says, where were you when I created the world? He's making the point, He's God. We're not. His ways are so far above our ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth. I mean, I, I can't even think of a good analogy. 
you try to teach your two-year-old advanced calculus. They're not going to get it. God's ways, God's intellect, God's understanding, God's wisdom, God's knowledge about everything that happens and how all of those things are orchestrated in their place for etern- with an eternal perspective is so far above our understanding, we have no right to question Him. Whatever He does is good and right, and that's where Job ended up at the end of this chapter and at the end of chapter 2 as well, as we'll see. So, God is God. We're not. I don't know why God put Job forward. I heard one pastor say it was kind of, this is, this is like um, if a diamond thief would meet the store owner of the, the jewelry store at night and he would come in and he would break in and the, the diamond store owner would be in there and the store owner says, have you seen the diamond in the front case? It's the biggest and most valuable of all of them. Why, why would he do that? I don't, I don't know why God would do this either, but God is God. So we're going to come back to this theme as well throughout this series. I wish I had an answer, but I don't. Verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God? For no reason. So keep in mind, God points out Job to Satan. Satan says, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions. You've increased his land. You've done this for him, God. You've done that for him. He gets all kinds of perks with you. You're like, he's like your favorite child. Isn't that why he's so good? But Satan says, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Insight number five, the enemy's main objective in trials is for you to curse God. This has not changed. This is why, this is why he brings some trials into our lives. Now, by the way, he doesn't bring all trials into our lives. We bring some of them into our lives on our own, right? Job was a righteous man. So Job wasn't getting himself into trouble and then saying, what's going on? Why did this happen? But I still believe that the the premise here applies to all trials in our lives. There's, there are still spiritual reasons behind those. And Satan still wants you to curse God. And God still wants you to bless God. And that's still the way that you pass the test, regardless of how the trial comes upon us. But the, the enemy's main objective in every trial is for us to curse God, to speak negatively of Him, to criticize Him, to speak irreverently of Him, to charge Him with wrong or condemn Him. And Job's saying here in these verses, verses 9 through 11, he's saying Job's in it for the perks. He sees you like a bubblegum machine God where you bless him with a quarter and he spits out praise and, 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 and Satan's challenging God to quit putting the quarters in and instead put some pain tokens in there and then see what Job spits out. He's not going to spit out praise. Yes, he is. That leads us to our next insight, insight number six from these same verses. Satan does not know the future. Satan just made a prediction here. He made a little prophecy, and he proved himself to be a false prophet because he said, you take these things away from Job, you lift your hands of blessing, and he's not going to praise you, he's going to curse you. I don't want to spoil the chapter for us, but that's not right. It ends with Job praising the Lord, and he doesn't curse him at the end of this chapter. So Satan's not all-knowing. He does, he's not like God. He doesn't know everything. He makes predictions. And his predictions are, are wrong. At least they can be wrong. He makes predictions for all of you. I believe that this kind of thing happens all the time. I believe he's probably making predictions now on how you're going to fail today. And that's, it doesn't have to be true. 
His prophecies don't have to be fulfilled because we have the Spirit of God. And greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. We can be greater and overcome Him by resisting Him firm in our faith. So, He doesn't know the future. Job ended up passing the test and Satan failed the prediction. And that glorifies God. That's what God wants for us. We have that potential if we have the Spirit of God in us. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. God put a restriction on Satan. This leads us to insight number seven. Satan is on a leash. And he can only do what God allows. God calls the shots. God said, okay, you can do that, but don't touch him. And Satan left. Because Satan knows that God's in control. We don't understand all of the reasons that God would allow these things. And God doesn't initiate these things in this book of Job. Satan does. But he allows some of them. But he also restricts some of them. I believe that every single minute of our lives that we are not being killed, God is restricting Satan. He wants to kill us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to cause us to suffer immensely. And God puts restrictions on him. You remember Jesus said to Peter, Satan desire, desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. God put a restriction on him. No. I believe God is restricting him from harming us right now. Think of all the days we've met in this building unharmed. Praise God for that. I believe that God restricted potential harm. Think of all the planes that didn't crash. Praise God for that. I believe God restricted something that Satan was requesting to do. Think of all the schools that don't get shot up. Think of all the wars that don't happen. God restricts and it's like we were singing this morning. can't remember the exact lyrics, but His grace is just so piled up on us every day. But we tend to see the evils and focus on them and ask, well, why? There are so many more good things, so many more restrictions happening every day. But Satan's on a leash and he can only do what God allows. Next one. Verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the servants feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job gets this horrible news. And then look at verse 16, while he was yet speaking... There came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So boom, boom. Verse 17. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Boom. Boom, boom. Job's, get, Job's getting overwhelmed. He's getting bombarded. Verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So just when you think it can't get any worse, 
It's bombardment, 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 piling on. Insight number eight. Satan likes to bombard us. To bombard is to attack continuously over and over as to overwhelm the enemy. As I look out, I know I've talked to many of you who have been through these kinds of attacks, bombarding attacks, not letting up over and over and over and over again. And as I look out, many of you are still here worshiping God, proving that you're passing the test. But that's, that's one of Satan's strategies, to keep piling it on so that we just can't even breathe anymore. It's like we're underwater and we have to fight to get up there and get a breath. Just remember that this is his objective, to get you to curse God. So know that this is a strategy, but know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to speak critically of God, to condemn God, to speak irreverently toward God, to charge Him with wrong. That was His strategy for Job. That is His strategy for you and me. That's what He wants to do when this happens. There are two objectives, though. That's Satan's. But God always has a purpose. God always has a plan when He allows things to happen. He always does. He doesn't flippantly just say to Satan, go ahead, do whatever you want. And He's not up there saying, what's going on? What is He doing? God knows, and He allows it. And I don't know what God's objective is all the time, But I know that one day we will know what His objective was for everything that we went through, that He allowed us to go through. And I know many times His objective, at least one of them, is to bring us closer to Him. I was just talking Friday with a young man that that, that meets with us, Isaac Roadman. He's going to be 16 tomorrow. He went through some trials here recently. He was in Children's Hospital for, for a while and uh, he, he had a problem where it's still affecting his nerves and it's still affecting him and he can't do a lot of the things that he wants to do and is good at. And he was all smiles on Friday when I asked him how he was doing. And he said, he told me that this has brought him closer to God than anything. God uses trials many times to bring us closer to him. Now, that's not the enemy's goal, but God has a goal that is for our spiritual advantage. The enemy's goal is for us to be spiritually destroyed. So Satan likes to bombard us. We could look at a number of passages that that show this. We could look at the story of Joseph in Genesis, where Joseph said, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. After being in prison and being mistreated for years and years, we could look at at the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, where in the book of Acts in chapter 2, we're told that at the hands of evil men, the Lord was crucified. He was brought to trial and He was crucified. At the hands of evil men. Satan, I believe, at that time was thinking, I got him now. He's going to die. But God had foreordained that purpose for the good of us that we can all be forgiven of our sins and spend eternity with Him. God always has a plan, even when you're being bombarded. We're not going to get into chapter 2, but one of the things that, that Job's wife said to him was, why do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job She got the first part right. Job was holding fast. That's what we have to do. We have to to hold on. We have to keep holding on 
to our faith, resisting Him, firm in our faith. And we could look, if we had time, we could look at 2 Peter, where it says, hold on, just a little longer, a little while, because God's not going to let that go on beyond what you're able to bear. But with every temptation, that's also the word trial, He will make a way of escape. He will do it in His time, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says. So holding on, pressing into Him, like Isaac did in his trial, like so many of you have done. All right, we've got to move on. Insight number nine also comes from this passage that we looked at, where the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans came upon Job's servants and his flocks and killed them. Insight number nine is Satan can use people for his attacks. So both in, in verses 13 through 19, the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans were instruments in the slaughter of Job's servants and his livestock. Now, Satan can use people. We, I just referenced Job's wife in chapter 2. Curse God and die. I don't think Job's wife or even the Sabaeans or the Chaldeans were thinking, I'm... I'm working for Satan, and I'm going to go do this for him. I don't think that they were thinking that. I don't think, very, I don't think a lot of the people are like that guy, and when, when was that in the 50s? The devil made me do it, kind of like aware and conscious of, of, of the spiritual influences that are going on. But he can do this. We see this throughout Scripture. Somehow he can put ideas into people's minds that sort of fit with their own personal lusts or agendas and influence them. I'm not saying cause. I'm saying influence them to do things. Now, Ephesians 2 tells us that before we were saved, we were under His influence. And I think He probably can cause unsaved people to do things. But here's the thing. For us who are believers in Jesus Christ, He can't cause us to do anything. But He can still influence us and we can still submit ourselves to Him. And I believe that's what Job's wife did. And I also believe that's what Peter did. Remember when Peter was trying to talk Jesus out of going to the cross and said, ah, far be that from you, Lord. He was, he was, he was distracting him from his mission. And, and how did Jesus respond? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew who generated that thought. Peter was a believer. Peter was saved. We can still... Submit ourselves to His influence, but He can't make us do anything. But He can use people. He can use people. Remember that when you watch the news. Insight number 10. Satan can use natural resources for his attacks. So he can use people, and he can use natural resources resources as well because we saw in this passage that the fire from heaven maybe lightning and the wind that came on the home of Job's children and smashed it and killed them those were natural resources these are what insurance adjusters call acts of God so now are they acts of God or are they acts of Satan well it's an interesting question when you read the book of Job with that question in mind. Because the fire from heaven is called, now this is a messenger that's saying fire of God from heaven. So that doesn't mean it was. But at the very end, we're going to see in a couple of minutes, Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the very next verse is in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So Job had this theology of God's sovereignty that somehow ultimately God is overseeing all of this but we do know that Satan initiates this and God gives him permission to use the wind and the lightning or fire from heaven but God can do that too I mean God obviously Jesus calmed the winds and the waves God has in the scriptures thrown fire down from heaven he's used the wind in scriptures but just know that Satan has those capabilities when God grants permission.
we get insight number 11 from verses 20 through 22. And we're, wrapping, we're, we're winding down here toward the end of the chapter. Verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So this is Job's response. Insight number 11. And we're going to get a couple of them from this. But insight number 11 is, it's good to grieve. So let the tears flow. Look, if you get where Job's coming from, you might get the wrong idea that trusting in God through trials means you have to have a stiff upper lip, you can never cry, you can never grieve, you just have to say that's God's will, I'm going to trust Him, and be a stoic and press on. We just read, in all of this, Job did not sin. In all of what? In, In all that they just said. In tearing his clothes and shaving his head, these are... These are ancient demonstrations of grief and anguish. These are responses to suffering. We might not do that kind of stuff today, but we cry and we react emotionally at times. And and, and I'm not suggesting we should sin when we do that, but to have an emotional reaction because you're suffering or someone you love is suffering is not wrong. It's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to do that. It's okay to wonder about it, but it's not okay to curse God, to charge Him with wrong, to criticize Him, to speak irreverently of Him. And we should never stop with just grieving because it goes on in verse 20. Job arose, tore his clothes, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And worshipped. And then it goes on to say, He blessed the name of the Lord. This is our word. This is Barak in the positive sense. He spoke favorably of the Lord. He praised Him. He gave the reverence that was due to Him. He didn't do the opposite and curse Him. This is what we need to do. We need to add this to our tears. We need to add this to our grief. We need to add this to our crying. And this is how we pass the test. Job, or insight number 12, God is worthy of our worship without regard to our circumstances. God is worthy of our worship without regard to our circumstances. See, Job had no sense of entitlement. He didn't only worship God when things were going great in his life. He worshiped God without regard to his circumstances. That is a characteristic of a righteous man or woman. Why do you worship God? Think about this for yourself. Why? Why do you worship God? Do you worship Him for what He gives you? Do you worship Him because things are going well in your life? Now, that's not wrong to do. It's not wrong to have the praise report at fellowship group. This is going great. I want to thank God because I got this inheritance. I want to thank God because I got this great new job. I want to thank God because I got promoted. I want to thank God because of these good things. That's not wrong. Yes, praise God for these things. But even if everything's going horribly wrong in our lives, God is still worthy of praise. Think of it. We've received the greatest gift that we could ever receive. We might not realize that now, but 10 million years from now, when we are not burning and suffering in hell, but we have eternal life in paradise with the Lord Jesus Christ in perfect peace, we've received the greatest gift. And God is worthy of praise for that, even if nothing else is working out in our lives today. 
So is God only worthy and good when things are going the way we want them? Or is He worthy and good all of the time? Is He still worthy of praise in your life when things are going really badly? I know many of you have passed this test, but there may be more trials. And so, we are constantly tested in this way. And we need to praise God. As I was uh, reading this passage, I remembered uh, when I was a kid, my grandma had, you remember those dolls that were popular in the 80s, those precious moments dolls? And there was this needlepoint pictures that my grandma did. Like it, you, you make a picture out of like little thread and she had these needlepoint precious moment dolls, uh, pictures in her bathroom. And there was this one, and I never, ever understood it. And it was this little boy holding his ice cream, and the strawberry cream fell off the cone, and it was on the ground, and this dog was licking it. And the caption was, praise the Lord anyhow. And I was, as a little kid, I, kept, I, I could not understand it. Why would he praise the Lord anyhow? I, I don't get it. He lost his ice cream. But that's really the summary of what we're talking about today. Praise the Lord anyhow. He's, he's worthy of it, no matter how things go. Job gets that. So let's have the band come up as we, as we end. And the song that I've requested that they, sing, they lead us in today is a song that Mark wrote years ago called As Long As You Are Glorified. And I want to just encourage us uh, as we sing this to pay attention to the lyrics and, and, and really, really ask ourselves, can we do this and ask God to help us because He will help us to be able to respond in the way these lyrics go. Can we stand? And I'm going to pray and then we will sing this last song. Father, thank You for Your Word. It's hard sometimes to understand. But we trust You. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here now who is having a hard time trusting You knowing that people have been through difficult things, that You would just fill us all with Your Spirit by the end of this song, that we might have a perspective like Job had, and that we might see You for who You are, truly good, truly sovereign, all-wise, all-knowing, loving to us, One who has given us the greatest gift that we could ever receive, eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.